Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back after a few weeks of us taking a break here at Reformed Podmatics. This is episode 68, and I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today, just by judging by our title from the episode, you may be wondering if we missed Halloween and (laughs) we should have done this back in October. We are going to be covering the topic of superstition and its effects on the Christian life in particular. Uh, And so... We're we're gonna start out with one of a our number favorite. by Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, yeah. As I was researching for this, that song was definitely in my head. Um, Sorry, but a, a good quote that we both uh, remembered as we were studying for this was from the one and only Michael Scott of The Office, where he says, "I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious." And I think that this is a very, very good quote. It's very telling for, I think, where we are as a society. As modern people, we no longer live in a, quote, superstitious age, or to use Charles Taylor's terminology, um, we no longer live in an enchanted age. We live in a disenchanted age. Uh, But we are nevertheless fairly or a little stitious, as Michael Scott has put it. And so what we want to accomplish in this episode is cause people, we want to cause people to reflect on some of the ways in which superstition is still not only a part of our modern world, but it is often, uh, it often creeps into the church, into the life of the church, uh, and how Christians practice their Christian faith and live out uh, the calling of Christ. And so we want to do some self-reflection and we want people to think about this and It sounds a little silly to be even talking about superstition, but I think as we'll get into, it's actually quite a prevalent thing, even in our context today. Yeah, it's a temptation for me. And just to think in a sort of a cold calculating, if I do this, then that will happen in my life. If I do this disconnected activity that actually doesn't have anything to do with a relationship with the Lord or even a relationship to people around me, then things will go well for me. Or if I or if I do something that would be unlucky, then some bad thing would come upon me. Uh, this this yeah. bad thing happened to my kid or in my day because I didn't do this random task or activity. Um, it's it's a strange temptation it's a strange thing that creeps into my mind at times um choosing where to cross the street (laughs) you know all these silly stepping on cracks exactly all these silly things uh step on a crack and break your mother's back i i know that there was a long time in my life where i really thought that was a bad thing to do morally (laughs) um which is totally ridiculous but yeah um you know we, we i agree with you that we live in a disenchanted age but um i think superstitions are Hmm. If anything, they almost take on more meaning, I think, for people who recognize that 
they're not in complete control over their lives and so they're going to be grasping at straws grasping at anything that could help them to feel like they have more influence on what's happening around them yeah that's where superstitions and zodiac signs and horoscopes and uh luck comes Mm in um and so uh yeah maybe we can define what superstition is yeah and we can I I think we could move pretty quickly into some scriptural refutations of superstition as well. Yeah, so a a good definition, I think, (laughs) that I've come up with for superstition that I think covers all the bases of it is that it's basically the belief that reality or certain outcomes or what's often referred to as fates can be manipulated according to your own will for whatever desired outcome you have by performing certain actions or behaving in certain ways. Often this is formulaic and repetitive behavior. And so by doing X, Y, or Z, you will accomplish A, B, and C, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, By by following the formula, by performing the right ritual, you will accomplish certain ends. And if you do things wrong, if you follow the wrong formula or you mess the formula up, uh, it will result in bad outcomes uh, and undesirable outcomes. And so often we see superstition uh, just for easy examples in sports. And really we were talking about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. About We see it a lot in baseball. Both of us grew up as big baseball fans. Uh, I'm a Giants fan. Mark is a Cubs fan. Um, and baseball, though we love it, is a sport full of superstitions mm-hmm. where <laughs> you have to – after every pitch, step out of the batter's box, shake the bat three times, hit your foot with, with hit your cleats with the bat two times, and then uh, choke up on the bat in the same exact way before you step back in the box. And there's all sorts of things like this, rubbing the rabbit's foot before you play. or And some of them are like strongly held, like do not yeah. talk to a pitcher who is having, who is throwing a no hitter after the seventh inning. Leave him alone <laughs> in the dugout. Yeah. So like... That is, if if one, if the catcher walks up to the pitcher in the eighth inning of a no hitter to talk to him while he's sitting in the dugout, honestly, I think he might get punched in the face. Like that's how strong. uh, Just touching the foul line, guys jumping over the foul line when they, when they enter the field, um, doing little (laughs) uh, genuflections as they enter the field, almost as if they're going to an altar. Um, Yeah, you know, different things like that. I mean. Guys, especially that one with talking to the pitcher after the seventh inning of a mm. no-hitter, that is a strongly held superstition. Mm. Like, um, I, I don't know if non-baseball fans <laughs> could quite understand how actually bad that would that. be um, if if somebody talks to the pitcher during in the dugout. So that's just one example. It's a it's a hmm. strong one, but I think there's uh, there's other ones. But baseball, weirdly, yeah, uh, maybe football has some of its uh, sort of pregame routine things that go on too, but. Yeah, um, I think baseball's the ultimate for this because they, maybe they have too much time to sit around and think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and baseball. <laughs> that's true. It's, a, it's that's why I loved baseball so much. It was a slow sport. It was more my speed. It was <laughs> a lot of standing around, spitting sunflower sunflower seeds, and so on. Right. Yeah. Um, but these sorts of things are are good examples of superstition by following a certain set of behaviors or actions, um, or by not doing certain actions, you are going to get the right outcome and so in that case if by not talking to the pitcher after the seventh inning when he's having a perfect game he's going to then carry on his Mm -hmm. perfect game to the end of the game Mm -hmm. 
And if you're anybody who's wondering, that means the pitcher doesn't get anybody. There's no hits, and there's nobody who ever gets on base. That's yeah. a perfect game. Um, and so it happens about a perfect game happens once every five or six years. Yeah, out of yep. the hundreds of games played every year, so yep. it's special. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so I think the reason that we fall prey to this one one thing to say obviously is that we are we are creatures conceived in sin. We okay. are we are sinful from birth from conception and so it's very easy for us to to fall into this sort of thinking for that reason but i think the the reason it's so easy not just because we're sinful but it's because superstition makes things easy our world is really complex Mm -hmm. and wanting to uh tweak outcomes into our favor is a deeply human desire it's a part of uh, what everyone wants to do. We want things to go well for us. And so, and we want things maybe to go badly for others. That's, that's the sort of dark side mm-hmm. of superstition. Yeah. Uh, and so superstition allows us to make a complex world very, very easy. Uh, it, we, we think that the world is easily manipulatable, if that's a word, mm-hmm. um, by our whims. And so it allows us to think in really black and white categories. If I do this, this, and this, this formula, a certain outcome will will happen, and so in some sense, uh, superstition is anti-gospel, and that it causes us to believe that by acting a certain way or performing certain rituals, we can accomplish that which we desire. And often, this comes into the Christian faith uh, by and that desired outcome is salvation. We think that by doing certain actions or by behaving in certain ways, we will affect salvation for ourselves, or we will affect blessing for ourselves. And so this is not the gospel (laughs) and this actually is very much the opposite of the gospel and it's very clearly uh, what we would call works-based salvation by performing certain things in order to receive a certain outcome we are trying to remove god from his Mm -hmm. throne as the only sovereign and we are placing ourselves as the true sovereigns thinking that we can take matters into our own hands and that's really one of the the problems of superstition yeah another issue with it has to do with relationship and so um hmm. it would be utterly foolish and silly for anyone to think that um okay if i uh type 10 words on my computer that um my wife loves then when i go home <laughs> she should give me uh, a back rub today you know it's like <laughs> yeah, that's it, kind it, of superstitious. it has nothing to do with the relationship itself yeah um but it has everything to do with like i did i jumped through these hoops and i did these four things mm-hmm. and now you have to give me what i want yep. and so thinking of it in terms of a personal relationship with another individual we see how silly it is yeah but then uh we we do the same thing towards God with uh, something like a no hitter or I, I think hmm. um, there's sort of two sides to superstition as well. There's the, what one might call the the positive side of somebody saying, if I do this, then a good thing will happen to me. I think maybe the more likely, I don't mean it positive in the sense that if it's a good thing to think that way, but it's positive in the sense of something good will happen to me when I do this. Right. Thing. Yeah. But I think maybe what's more likely is the negative in terms of, if I do this, then a bad thing will happen to me. Or if I Won't don't, happen to if me. I, no, a bad thing will happen to me if I oh, step okay. on a crack or something oh, get like you. that. I get you. Okay. Um, okay. Or if I, uh, 
you know, do something unlucky, um, then bad things will happen to me. Or if Mm -hmm. I don't do this, like Michael Jordan, if I don't wear my Carolina blue (laughs) spandex under my Bulls jersey, I'm not going to play well today. And so it's it's really fear based more Mm -hmm. than more than just I want things to go well for me. It's I am afraid (laughs) that if I don't do this thing, tragedy or disaster will befall me. Yeah. Um, And so it's pretty sinister in that way because bad things are happening to us all the time. If we really just kind of look, (laughs) look for something bad to happen in your day, you're going to find something that didn't quite go its way. And so on the negative side, it's a very self-fulfilling prophecy. I think Hmm. a lot of times. Um, So, uh, sorry, I don't want to, no, go ahead. I I was just going to comment on what you're saying because I think that's really profound that it, on the one hand, with the positive use of superstition, and by that I don't mean the good use yeah. of it, um, we it, it's it's nice to us. We like superstition because it, we could take matters into our own hands. Yeah, we can sort of have a sort of uh, power over things. Um, but on the other hand, it can become really constraining or even imprisoning would be a good word. Mm. Um, it becomes because we're fear-based. We have to do certain things. We we yeah. cling to. Oh my gosh, I I need to do this. Uh, I really need to make sure I I get things together, and I do not miss out on doing this action or this ritual, or else bad things are going to happen to me. And so it can become this fear-based mentality, yeah. uh, and we become slaves to that paradigm, thinking that we must do or not do certain things. And that if we fail to do that or to not do that, uh, then then horrible things are going to happen to yeah. us. Antonio Brown from the Steelers wouldn't play until he got his helmet. Like so, hmm. he, going into the season, the NFL season, as five or six years ago, they changed the safety modifications of the helmet, and he refused to practice all all summer, and refused to play until his favorite old helmet was approved and that's mm. that's that pr- imprisonment that you yeah talk so he about. was unable to play for, for yeah. five or six and weeks he was fined and he lost money and it, and it wow. was all based on this helmet that i like and hmm. uh, now of course he's in the news again because he's got his own issues but uh <laughs> but that, that that's uh, a sports analogy i think of maybe something that happens on a smaller scale regularly to people who um have their hmm. lucky numbers and uh, have their little routines that they like to do. And so, yeah. um, so I, let, let's just run through maybe a few examples and then we'll, we'll talk about, um, what scripture has to say about it. Maybe we can, hmm. they're, they're the last thing we have listed in our little outline here, which <laughs> our cheat sheet. Um, but what are some ways that Christians fall into superstition? Well, there's a lot of ways um, we could think of a myriad more. I'm sure yeah. uh, we have about ten here, um, but often it's by it's often good things mm-hmm. that get turned into. If I do this, my desired outcome will will happen. So, um, one thing that came right to mind for me is Christian education and homeschooling, and how that often uh, is thought of or conceived of in um, in Christian circles, uh, people often think, as I just heard the other day, I was listening to a podcast called Core Christianity. It's a part of the White House or White Horse Inn uh, network. Um, and some woman called in, and her question was, 
I raised my child in a Christian homeschooling environment and now she is not a Christian any longer. What did I do wrong? And so the idea was that if I raise my child in a Christian home and she's homeschooled, the outcome, by following that formula, the outcome will be a faithful, strong Christian adult that that is reared in my house and goes off into the world. Uh, and so she was having some real cognitive dissonance trying to understand how that formula failed her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so by sending your kid to a Christian school or by homeschooling them, um, thinking that you can manipulate the outcome just by doing that, uh, it's not so easy. That That's one way that, that I've seen it. And this isn't to say that Christian education no. or homeschooling are, are bad. I don't no. think that they are. Uh, in fact, we here at, at Emmon Valley, being in the CRC, are very strong on the value of Christian education in particular. Um, but thinking that by sending your kid to the right school, a lot of times I, I've seen parents, even in my old church in my hometown, um, kind of have the feeling that if I send my kid to a Christian college, mm. they will be totally prepared to be a Christian in this mm-hmm. day and age. Um, and a lot of people I know that went to Christian colleges walked away uh, probably more adamant atheists uh, than anybody would have expected. Yeah, there are there are a number of other examples. I One that came to my mind, one of the last ones, but I think it's pretty prevalent, is giving something up for Lent. And so um, just like with Christian education and homeschooling, it can be a very good thing to mm-hmm. make a sacrifice during the season of Lent. Um, but this one in particular was derided by many reformers mm-hmm. where um, they see that the church is telling people to believe in a superstition, actually, and certainly in the Reformation era, probably still yeah. happens today, that um, start for these 40 days, if you don't do that thing, then God will be happier with you. <laughs> um, and so that would include not eating meat, um, not eating chocolate, not having coffee, um, yeah. even even doing something positive like, I'm going to read my Bible every day for Lent. Um, okay, that's a good thing to do every day of your life. But if it's done out of the superstitious motive Mm-hmm. Of if I do this thing, God will be happy with me, and then mm-hmm. he'll, he'll kind of have to give me some of the things that I want. <laughs> um, or if I really show sacrifice during Lent, then God will um, be impressed by me. Um, again, mm-hmm. like what you said earlier, it's not the gospel. It's not. Um, it's not about relationship anymore at that point. It's yeah. about an, an exchange. It's a consumeristic attitude towards God. You're appeasing God, or yeah. as 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 superstition often comes up in paganism you're appeasing the gods yeah but they can be you can have a christianized version <laughs> of it where you're trying to appease the one and only god and i don't know why i'm doing this for these 40 days versus for any other day of the week or yeah. of the year but it's just what i guess you know the priest said i should do and so i guess mm-hmm. i should just do it and um john kelvin also refers to praying to the saints in this way as well in the institutes Hmm. of the Christian religion where, well, I, you know, the St. Benedict, I don't know what he did, but um, the priest said I should just pray pray to him about this thing or St. Christopher, I guess, helps me in traveling or, you know, there's all these different um, saints, patron saints of um, different Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And they, if I say a prayer to them, then I'll have a good trip. 
Yeah. You know, um, whatever enterprise I'm engaging in will go well for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously it's very I, transactional, right? And it's, there's yeah, you're right. There's no relationship involved there. Yeah. Um, another one that I've seen in the church is what I would call slavish commitments to precisely performed liturgical elements or rituals, um, where things have to be a very precise way in order for them to be acceptable to God. Hmm. Um, this is a really tricky one in the, in our reformed tradition, uh, because of the, the sense that we have for the regulative principle of worship where, Certain things are commanded by God, and those things must be done, and only those things must be done in worship. Um, it's there in all denominations, though. Like even oh, yeah. your non-denominational has its clearly defined liturgies oh, yeah. that are, I would say, far more strict and stringent, and even superstitious yeah. than what we have in what somebody would probably call a more liturgical church. Yeah, that's that's true, um, and so. This has to do with how certain symbols in the church's architecture are mm-hmm. are put up mm-hmm. or not put up, um, and thinking that if we do this wrong, we are we're really backsliding, you know, in our faith, and God is not going to be glorified in what we're doing. So if we have the wrong colors up on the table, or if, we, <laughs> if we don't have the pulpit or the cross in the exact right spot, uh, things will be wrong. Or if we don't do this element of the service before or after a certain other element, so communion has to go after. Mm. Um, and No screen in front. Yeah, no screen. Yep. And these are all things that you could make theological arguments for, right? You could make a good theological argument for the pulpit being in the center. Um, and above the font and communion yeah. table. Yeah. And so... On a theological basis, it's not wrong to make that commitment or to make that argument, um, but to think that by not doing it, that you're going to bring down the wrath of God upon you, is probably a, a really wrong-headed way of, of approaching approaching that. Yeah, I think that's a great example because it shows that uh, the temptation towards superstition is so often attached to objects. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's um, very physical. It's it's a way of so like people recognize that objects in say a church are very symbolic, and they are they mm-hmm. are symbolic, but um, they they with a superstitious person get sort of an extra value on that symbolism, hmm. and so um, I, I think about the screen right. Yeah. So for for some people in very conservative reformed churches the screen represents tv entertainment culture um mm-hmm. kind of the charismatic church people for people who don't really like that it's associated with those things mega and, church and so that object becomes kind of uh, representative overly representative of mm-hmm. something that it it need not even be or mean um, yeah like in our own church um, there's there's often words up there. Like if either of us have a quote in a sermon, I find it very very helpful mm-hmm. to um, help people understand. Um, if I'm going to move through a bunch of scripture texts, like I did this past Sunday, I think I used four scripture texts in about three paragraphs, and hmm. I had them up on the screen behind me to 
yeah. spare people flipping pages so I could move actually fairly quickly through that portion of the sermon because I had a lot to say on those things. And so it's relational, our use of the mm-hmm. screen, and where somebody will say, no, that screen is bad, they're actually starting to forget the relational aspect, mm-hmm. I think, of worship. Now, could screens be bad? Yeah, I think you could go to a church where the screen is almost hmm. uh, is distracting and is mm-hmm. there for entertainment value and so forth, and that's generally not a good thing. But um, Does that necessarily mean the use of a screen is absolutely wrong yeah. in all circumstances? No, obviously not. No. So... Um, yeah, I, I think that's a great example. Maybe one more that I would add. Um, we have uh, quite a few here on our list. Uh, we could think of observing Sunday. So there's a lot mm-hmm. about Sunday that can become superstitious. Um, not going out to eat, uh, even going to church, sitting in a certain place at church, um, doing certain routines uh, before or after church. Um, when when those are interrupted, um, like for example, uh, if church goes quite long, maybe you have a missionary who's there Mm -hmm. and that missionary typically preaches in a context where it's totally fine to go 45 or 50 minutes in the sermon and um, the sermon is good, it's really great, but there are gonna be some people who leave upset because <laughs> church was more than an hour and 10 minutes. And it threw the routine off. Yeah, the, and the routine was gone. My lunch thing that I wanted to do is ruined now. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes less about the relationship with the Lord, hearing his word, mm-hmm. uh, being with the people of God, and more about my routine. Um, maybe that's not always superstition. That might be just practical annoyance of somebody got in the way of my schedule Mm -hmm. but i think it can take on the form of superstition like when we think of something like sabbatarianism which is very popular in Hmm. 50s 60s and 70s in the christian reformed church Um, i heard of a family once who said you can go swimming but your head cannot go underwater (laughs) on sunday because when you show up for evening worship, yeah, then your, your hair is wet. Your hair would be wet. It's clear that you were having a little too much fun on the Lord's Day. <laughs> right, or you you may play baseball. And this is my parents got sort of chided as youth leaders in the 70s. Uh, they could play baseball um, on their own time, but not at youth group. Then it would be a church-sanctioned baseball game. Because so they could not play baseball at youth group. Do they have youth group on Sunday? They would have it on Sunday, I think, before the evening service, uh, something okay. like that. Um, and so my parents were sort of irked, you might say, by being chided with that superstition. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so maybe a, a good way of combating this—it's something that we've tried to do in our own home. I think it's a helpful thing is to talk about why we do things uh, on Sunday. And so, for example, our family really makes a, a strong effort to not eat out on Sunday. And um, if we're traveling, then we may do that. But um, on a typical Sunday, we try not to. And we tell our kids, it's not just because this day is is superstitiously more valuable than others, mm-hmm. but we want to love our neighbors by not requiring them to work on this day. And so that hopefully gets to the relational reason for our activity on Sunday or withholding a certain activity instead of just, well, we do this because I guess God said it was a holy day that we're not supposed to do that on. That doesn't make any sense to people. And I think kids grow up realizing that, but hopefully where we see 
there is a love element to it. There's a relational element. Wow, okay, well then that might make sense for children and uh, hopefully they would adopt the same attitude. Yeah, it's good that you're talking about the motivations behind it with, with your kids because it's very easy for children particularly hmm. to think in black and white categories um, and to think that Sunday is is superstitiously a, a different day than the rest and so we just can't do the same things. And with, without having the larger idea of Sunday is the Lord's day. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worshiping the Lord and of spending time with his family, with, with God's family uh, in church and in worship <clears throat> and in slowing down other parts of our lives so that we can focus on him um, because it would be very easy for them to, yeah. to grow up having a sort of uh, anxious feeling towards Sundays. Of, yeah. Oh no, Sunday's coming. I have to act certain ways on Sunday that are different it's this day i hate it's so constraining yeah to me. yeah um, and by getting to the motivations behind it um, that's i think really important for getting away from hmm. superstition well maybe i'll sneak one more in here before we move on to the scriptural response um and that is lucky numbers unlucky numbers i i um a little story very quick about this is that in linden washington this sort of bastion of reformness um, there are numbered streets in Linden. Uh, all the north-south streets in downtown are numbered. And so uh, you'd go down uh, 10th Street, 11th Street, 12th Street, BC Avenue, 14th Street, 15th Street. There is no 13th Street in Linden. And um, maybe this was a superstitious activity of some non-believing council member or something like that who was naming the streets 100 years ago. I don't know. That could be. But um, just something like that. I think it's very common among Christian people even to have a lucky number, an unlucky number. They they get their receipt and it was uh, $6.66 when they went and bought their um, their coffee that day or something. Oh, no, it's going to be a bad day, you know. Okay, Christians, stop saying that. Christians who are listening to this, stop saying that. It's yeah. not lucky to have 13 or unlucky to have 13 or unlucky to have 666. And again, it is a false religion that we're buying into in those moments of attaching significance to numbers um, as if they will determine the the fate of our day or maybe even our lives and so that's when i would want to sneak in there that we've got to stop being afraid of the 13th floor or 13th street or that our kids get number 13 on you know all the silliness that can happen yeah. or that they would get our lucky number from high school like i like the number six and so oh i, I want judah to wear number six when he plays no 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 that that could be okay and and like and, and could be cute yeah it could be cute i was born on the sixth day of the month of february so hmm. that's kind of why i like it but there's nothing attached to that that is is any has any real significance mm -hmm. and so christians can let that one go anyway yeah, rant that's, over <laughs> that's uh, part of what christianity has done i think it has where it has been believed and held it has i think the light of Christ has overcome mm. the darkness of superstition. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a there's a quote that I remembered as I as we, we were preparing for this from Saint Athanasius in his book on the Incarnation, where he says, 
It used to be that the whole world and every place was led astray by worshipping idols, and men regarded nothing but their idols as gods. But now, all the world over, people are deserting this superstition and taking refuge with Christ and worshipping him as God. And they are coming to know the Father whom they also did not know. Um, and so Athanasius is re- noticing just even in his own day in the fourth century that the light of Christ was shining and people were turning away from their darkness of superstition and worshiping idols uh, to the one true God. And so I think Christianity has in it a sort of disenchanting element where it disenchants hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Although it's also very enchanted in other ways in, in sort of a philosophical sense that mm-hmm. Christianity says that everything is spiritual. All things matter. Mm-hmm. Even matter matters. Our bodies matter. And so it's not totally disenchanted, but it breaks through the fog of, of false uh, worldviews of false religions uh, and shows us how things truly, really are. And so, yeah, I really liked that quote. And I think yeah. that where where Christianity is really held, nobody really believes the num- that numbers have any sort of power. Mm-hmm. And so if you find yourself believing that certain numbers or lucky charms have power, um, you, can, you can move along from that. And, yeah. and you should, yeah. uh, because that's just not true. Oh, and you talk about imprisonment. I know in um, Thai culture, names are, there's a lot of superstitious power attached to names. And so it's common in Thai culture for people to change their first name throughout their life. And, you know, if something, if you change your name and then you have a few bad years, Mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe what's happened with COVID, well, then I've got to change my name again. And it Mm -hmm. it becomes this, this, um, crapshoot almost it's like well i hope i get a lucky one or um um i know that in chinese culture also people won't live at certain addresses because they're the number that's attached to that address uh, the street number is not a good number for somebody to to live or do business at and and so what is our hope uh, well first of all we would have to say but but by the grace of God go I, I would think the same way if I were not born again. And so it's not as though we're so much better than those superstitious people. But secondly, we hope the gospel comes in and frees people of that. Uh, the reason I know that thing about Thai culture is there's a Christian woman who owns a Thai restaurant in Linden, and she said, I, I was just totally enslaved to luck attached to my name. Um, all throughout my life, and I changed my name when things would go bad. And now that I'm a Christian, I know I'm in Christ. I'm done with that. Silly. I'm done with that. It's just, yeah. um, it's a prison that she lived in. It would be a prison um, going to the DMV every few months. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know how often in life they do it, but just just thinking, like, what if I have an unlucky name? I mean, imagine the uh, the self-perception yeah. that happens with that. Um and so that that's a deliverance that this this woman has, uh, who owns the Thai restaurant um, on Front Street in Linden. So makes me think of meat <coughs> sacrificed to idols. Uh, yeah, First Corinthians chapter eight, Paul saying, "That's actually an okay thing to eat as long as you give give thanks for it and praise God for it." Um, and so it's sort of there he is demystifying things a bit, or he he is saying that, okay, yeah, this meat was sacrificed to idols, and if, but if it doesn't burden your conscience then it's something that you are permitted to eat um, with thanksgiving and so in that same way 
Christianity shows that there's no, yeah, there's no special uh, power to numbers or to your name or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just not, not true of reality. It's not how reality works. There are other ways people thought in the ancient world that if you had some sort of birth defect that you, or some sort of sickness, you, there was some sort of sin or reason mm-hmm. that, you, that, oh, yeah. that took place. And so John nine, Jesus did this, this man's parents sin that he right, might be yeah. cursed. Yeah. yeah. So he yeah. spits in the mud and that's how he's, he's healed. Uh, that story people thought, man, this guy just brought it upon himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a superstitious way of thinking. Um, and so if we want proof that superstition is a pretty much a, the default human religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to look no further than what scripture tells yeah. us, even about God's own people, yeah. particularly in the old Testament. Um, there are so many times in the old Testament that the prophets, um, or the Psalmist, uh, typically David will mention things about sacrifice and mm-hmm. about how righteousness is preferred to sacrifice. So one example comes from, First uh, Samuel fifteen twenty two, where it says, "Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen to the Lord that is than the fat of rams." And so, people would often get sucked into thinking, "Well, as long as I just perform my sacrifices at the temple um, and my sins are atoned for, I can keep on living how I'm living, and I don't really need to change." Uh, but that passage, and then a similar one from Psalm 51, David's mm-hmm. famous prayer of confession, he tells the Lord, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased in a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so what we see in these two passages, and there's plenty more that mm-hmm. can be marshaled as evidence to prove this point, is that to the Lord, it's our heart's motivation behind things and the relationship that we have with him that is much more important than the performance of certain rituals or acts. In this case, sacrifice. Sacrifice was a commanded act in the old covenant. Mm-hmm. It was something that you had to do. But if you had a sort of ex opere operato by the working of the work and understanding of, of the sacrifices of the old covenant, uh, you were completely missing the point. And you thought that you could save yourself just by doing the right sacrifices, by 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 burning the right animal, or by giving up the right grain, or so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one um, verse that John Calvin refers to, when particularly teaching about Lent and fasting and praying to saints, and some of the superstitious motive for that is Joel two verse thirteen. Um, and so Joel says, "Rend your heart and not your garments." Return to the Lord your God. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So rend your heart. Focus on your heart. Um, be reconciled to God um, would be definitely a New Testament phrase. Um, and you know, don't worry so much about the garment you're wearing or um, the, the fast that you're doing. Um, John Calvin in that text says it would be better not to fast than to do so with a bad or superstitious motive. And um, I think uh, that maybe puts a, a sort of a bow on, on the conversation here that uh, yeah. I think the opposite of superstition is prayer, is probably what I would say. Hmm. The opposite of superstitious activity would be to pause and 
seek the Lord to yeah, pray. To rely on, on him. Yeah, and to, to think rightly about the Lord, to pray to the Lord, to have a relationship with the living God instead of reducing him um, to uh, a res- sort of a, a slot machine where you put the coin in and then therefore um, hopefully you would win. Yeah, so. he does not exist for your manipulation. <laughs> yeah, uh, for you to. It's a low view of God. Certain blessings uh, won by doing certain things, so that He will be appeased. That is not how the Lord works, and that is to effectively place yourself in His seat mm-hmm. to say that you are the Lord, that He is your servant, and that is really what's at root so evil and twisted about superstition and about magic and all sorts of things like that. And though, again, we don't think that we are a magical world, we think that things are very plain and we are very scientifically minded, Mm. we still find that we are so easily seduced into thinking in superstitious ways. Yeah, so thank you for joining us. Um, Hopefully you are superstitiously devoted to listening to our podcast. (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, But... uh, Hopefully, you've uh, been growing in your faith, really, since our last episode as you've celebrated the Lord's incarnation and uh, the new year, hopefully. Christmas and more superstition. Yeah, well, we didn't even get into that, yeah. Um, My goodness. Uh, But uh, New Year's as well, right, Uh, has its superstitions attached to it. So, uh, well, have a uh, blessed and um, uh, hopefully a faithful and uh, richly satisfying year ahead of you. Um, God bless you uh, as you continue to follow him. And uh, maybe one thing that, that I would say as, as, as maybe people listen is if you don't have a local church and you are listening to this podcast, maybe as kind of um, filling a spiritual gap in your life, um, I would suggest that you would be better off going to a local church and listening to a pastor in person on Sunday, then you would be uh, allowing us to fill that void in your life. And so if this is just a good thing on top of your regular church participation, that is great. But um, hopefully it is not taking the place of of that rich fellowship. And so um, anyways, thank you for listening and joining us this week. And uh, God bless you in the week ahead. Grace and peace, you guys.